This is the Oklahoma Talking Company. I saw giant stuffed animals on superbikes the other day. Yeah, I know. That is that is just like a new wild thing. When did they come out with helmet covers that look like make you look like a giant stuffed animal? I had never seen that before. That is something from like Japan and stuff that's hit here. It's like a new craze thing. And I saw a what looked to be something like a Clifford the Big, big Red Dog. It had big floppy red ears on it, and then there were there was a couple on a sport bike, a guy and a girl behind it, and they both had um, animals of some sort on their heads as well. And then I passed a minion. Uh, later in the day so i thought there was some sort of conference going on but maybe, uh, maybe pokemon looking for pokemon <laughs> they, somewhere they very well could have been i didn't see any pokemon characters but that uh, that would have been interesting so the uh what's going on with people i mean is it just i guess it's just trying to be different or yeah. trying to be i'm all for being different i mean there was a once upon a time we tied an inflatable whale to the top of a car and drove around so i i kind of get it i know a guy that tied a big stuffed noid to the front of his truck the pizza noid hmm. from way back you know in the late jurassic period okay <laughs> okay i'm with you so did you watch any racing recently the I watched the drag races uh, this last weekend. I watched uh, the Vance and Hines team uh, win with a red light over Hector Arana Jr. Yep, yep. The uh, the Harley wins again, and it looks like Andrew Hines is well on his way to yet another championship. I don't know if you have seen on uh, Facebook or any any place, but George Bryce, owner of the Star Racing team, that is um, certainly one of the pinnacle teams in NHRA Pro Stock Motorcycle Racing, and uh, the team owner for Angel Sampe that uh, he's basically called out the Harley guys and said, uh, we want to see you guys on a bike that is the equivalent or something that all of the rest of us could buy and let's see how good you are then yeah the the vance and hines v-rod is is in fact uh purpose built for them it is indeed um and that is somewhat uh adverse to nhra rules if i'm not mistaken, and certainly from what George has said in in his comments, but uh, knowing NHRA rules as much as I do, um, you would be the guy. You're supposed to have. There's supposed to be at least some sort of a production base there. Now, obviously, lots of modifications. We see, you know, the nitro cars are, are a different entity altogether. But when you're talking about the pro stock motorcycles, I mean, all the competitors are supposed to have access to the same types of things. You know, they had lease engines yes. at one time yeah uh, not just the suzuki lease engines because i believe there's still some guys that run the suzuki yeah. still run vance and hines yeah. suzuki lease engines well and star leases engines and they've always leased engines they lease suzuki engines when they were running suzuki's and they lease buells now that they're using the the buell or the sns motor or whatever they're calling it yes and vance and hines was supposed to have had v-rod lease engines uh, but about the time that I'd heard anything about that, then the subject had kind of gone cold, and, and I haven't seen any 
of those engines other than what they're themselves are running. Yeah, I'd be interested to see. I haven't seen any kind of, uh, and, and the Vance and Hines team is not one that's going to get caught up in a um, a fight of words over, you know, through the media or anything like that, unless it's, a you know, at the end of the track, maybe a comment here and there. And, and I know, I mean, I saw some pictures. I mean, those guys are, they're all friends. The Pro Stock Motorcycle community is a tight-knit community. Yeah, very tight. Uh, but, you know, George... Bryce likes to win, and he is used to winning, and and he has still been able to do some winning even against the Harleys. But I think overall, over the past several years, it's been somewhat of a domination, and uh, he seems to think that the lev- the playing field isn't as level as it could be, and they don't have access to a Harley to be even be able to run with the Vance and Hines team, you know, to develop their own Harley program. And I don't think it's about sponsorship. I think it's about, you know, we're comparing apples to oranges. At least that's what it seems to come across as. It does come across as as apples to oranges. Uh, They're G squared is more than capable of developing a lot of horsepower with the motor. Oh, absolutely. Um, So, you know, there's two ways of, of considering this. Some out there think that you know they're just picking on vance and hines because vance and hines is on top um and then there are some that think that there is a distinct advantage that vance and hines has because they're not held to to the rules in the way that other teams are so it'll be interesting to see how they fix that yeah and because harley davidson has a sponsorship stake in there now uh, it does you know beg the question you know, are are they offering the same opportunities to everybody? So it'll be interesting to see what happens there, uh, if anything happens. And I doubt that it will. I mean, George will keep making comments and, and, and calling them out. One, from the, the showman side of him, it's, it's fun. But, you know, I, too, also believe that he thinks that, you know, on at least remotely equal machinery that they have every bit as uh, – you know, much ability to win the championship, and they do. And this is not a rider thing because I know that George, you know, has respect for Eddie Craywick and Andrew Hines as riders, and his riders are are very good. I mean, Angel has obviously won her share of championships, but I think it's now that they are. Uh, I think the key comes to when. They are saying that Andrew Hines or the Vance and Hines Harley team is the winningest rider uh, in the history of NHRA Pro Stock Motorcycle. And I think George thinks there needs to be a little bit of an asterisk there because when you start comparing um, the opportunities that he's had compared to uh, the late John Myers, who rode for the star racing team, and uh, the late Dave Schultz, who uh, you know, was close with, I mean, rivals for a long time, but still close uh, friends with yeah. George and John. And and those were the epic days of pro stock motorcycle racing when you had Dave Schultz versus John Myers. And those two guys were the, were the winningest riders um, in NHRA pro stock motorcycle history. And the I don't want to say the founders, but they built the foundation for that class uh, on their backs, I would say. Yeah, and rivalries like that are are always good for the sport. They you know look at Snake and Mongoose that oh, yeah. that whole rivalry rivalry was huge. Um, so, in for media and advertising and for the fan aspect, I think that uh that that kind of stuff is really good. Um, but if there is in fact 
favors being pulled and stuff. I mean, obviously, we can't have that in a sanctioning body. Yeah. Uh, I don't think the racing, the racing world will never be a level playing field. No, no. It would be. It would be. Somebody's so, always going to have more money and more engineering, either engineers on their team or engineering expertise. I mean, you look at the domination of John Force so long, and then now you look at what Schumacher has been able to do because he has the money to be able to come to the table and compete against John Force with you know. Uh, and also support, what does he have, four teams, four funny car teams now trying to take on, you know, to get to where John Force has been for a while. And yeah, uh, and and he has achieved that and they have done well. And that's a they, that's a great team in their own right. And, uh, you know, Matt Hagan coming off of the win at the U.S. Nationals this weekend. Ron Caps, who is, you know, came into the weekend leading the points and is the top seed in the uh, the playoff format. And, you know, Schumacher's team is doing incredible. And he's got the money to and the sponsorship to be able to do that. But I think, you know, with the exception of what the engineers can develop in their own shops and and the differences there, they're still using the basic same parts and pieces that John Force's team has. I mean, you know, there's little tidbits here and there and obviously expertise and knowledge and uh engineering ability and things Experience like that of tuners and right but i mean they're buying the same heads from the same place or developing their own heads in their own same place i mean they're doing all the same things and I, th- I think that's where the the conversation comes up for pro stock motorcycle is that you know not everybody can get the same parts that the vance and hines team has right now you're correct and a lot of people bring just like you said the top fuel uh program uh into that conversation but there's a huge difference between the fuel cars and the parts and what can be bought and what's being developed there versus the motorcycles the motorcycle market is very very narrow when it comes to that kind of stuff oh yeah yeah well and it was an interesting weekend uh, moving on just a little bit i mean the u.s nationals always the the pinnacle of the drag racing series it is an an amazing an event uh to be part of and you know, we had uh, huge wins, you know, some of the, the expected players. But Tony Schumacher got his 10th top fuel win at the U.S. Nationals. And I, I can and say he earned it. He earned it. And I was there with him for his very first one in 1996. Um, was it 97? Oh, geez, my memory's gone. <laughs> the first year he won, uh, I was there for that event, and it was uh, bittersweet because that was the year that Blaine Johnson uh, passed, uh, was killed in a crash there at Indy, which I was also there for, which is not um, not something that you want to necessarily be a part of, uh, losing no, a, a, any kind of racer, but that was – one of those deals uh, and one of those horrific times that has come out of uh, the drag racing history. But um, as a result of that, um, Tony Schumacher uh, got a buy run first round and then was able to go on and, and win the event in his first race out. And it was just, uh, you know, kind of and, – and that was before he they had their own team that he was running Schumacher's team. He was driving for somebody else at that point. So – it uh, you know he's had an incredible career and made amazing trajectory. Uh, you know he drew, he drove jet cars. He came out of alcohol funny cars, and uh, and then moved into the top fuel car in 
you know, has has excelled ever since and multi-time NHRA champion, now 10-time U.S. Nationals winner. And that is something that every driver wants to have on their resume. I mean, even one U.S. Nationals win is huge, is huge. Uh, but to have 10 of them on there, you are in rarefied air at that point. Not only is he very talented at what he does, but as far as racing as a business, he's very good at that also. Yeah. Well, and, and certainly his dad has put all the pieces together for an incredible team uh, across the board with multiple cars and drivers, and, and they work well together and um, have experienced a lot of success. And, and quite frankly, um, Ron Caps, as I mentioned, came into the weekend leading the points. He's the, the top seed, and I can't think of anybody that I would rather see win the championship in in hra right now in any class more than than ron caps because he is a guy that i've known uh since his early days and he is a he's a class act he's a great guy he's an incredible driver he is passionate about racing of all kinds uh he's a great interview he's a fun guy and he has worked hard for years and years and years and been so close and never achieved that top spot, and he's in a great position right now, and I just really hope for him, uh, you know, and I'm going to show favoritism because, you know, it's my show, and I can do that, and I don't care. <laughs> uh, I want Ron Caps to win the championship this year because I think he deserves it, and I think he's had a great year, and just based on that, he, you know, I hope he can hold on through this this chase format or playoff format. And uh, But over the years, I mean, his, his years with Don the Snake Prudhomme and – um, you know the Copenhagen funny car that he drove, and man, he's he's just a cool guy, uh, a great driver. Like I said, he he loves to drive anything. You've seen him in late models, you've seen him mm-hmm. in some open wheel cars, you've seen him race go karts, and he just loves to race. And he's a guy that uh, just gets out there and does it because it's fun. He has a team that can put him there, but oh yeah, with fuel cars, as everybody knows, they either go or they don't. Yeah. <laughs> and it's easy to smoke the tires and over the weekend it wasn't it didn't seem to be one lane was necessarily better than the other one some of the cars would would light the tires uh down track some of them would do it right off the hit mm-hmm. uh so winning a top fuel championship is truly challenging uh for the team and for the driver and if there's anybody that that absolutely deserves a championship through effort. It is Ron Caps. Yeah, and it's going to be a, a tough, tough road. You know, you have his his own teammates. You have uh, Matt Hagen coming off of his win at the U.S. Nationals. You have the defending Funny Car champion Dell Worsham, who's right up there. You have uh, Ron Caps's other teammate, Fast Jack Beckman, tuned by Jimmy Proc who is probably one of the greatest minds in uh, fuel tuning right now for for fuel cars. And uh, and then you have all the force cars. Oh, and Tommy Johnson Jr., who's also part of the Schumacher team. And, I mean, so you've got an incredible brain trust there that, you know, is good and bad because you're, you're racing against all of those guys. But if they start getting, you know, mathematically eliminated, you can also Draw know those them. guys. You know that Jimmy Proc is going to be offering some advice and some help to Ron Caps's team at that point. Um, so should be interesting. And then you've got John Force in there as well. And, uh, you know, it's nice to see Dell 
back driving again. You know, he was tuning for a while for uh, DeJoria. Yeah. Um, and uh, he, I thought he did really, really good with the Alan Abbey team. Yeah. Well, yeah, and to pick up a top fuel championship. And there's another guy that, uh, you know, when he won his first championship uh, and, and to get it in a top fuel car was, was pretty cool. And but then to come back and then last year win the funny car championship. I mean, here's a guy who never raced anything before. And then at the age of 21, I think, stepped into a fuel funny car and mashed the throttle and took off and took off. And those guys have were an independent team. Uh, You know, his dad, Chuck, was funding that team and they had some minor sponsorship here and there in the beginning. And then, uh, you know, brought brought on some bigger sponsors, but they have never they never had the funding that you saw many of the other teams uh, be able to uh, bring in, um, say, the John Forrest and Cruz Pedregon and, and things like that. But. Hardest one of the hardest working teams in the pit area, and, and Dell and his dad Chuck were oftentimes, you know, doing it themselves, doing everything themselves. I mean, I, I've seen him do it all. And uh, there's a lot to do to one of those to turn him around. Yeah, uh, and you know, as he's progressed, he's brought you know been able to bring on more team members, and then to be become the hired gun, if you will, for the other bigger teams, and and then to finally get championships at this point in his career after seriously like 20 years of racing and uh, it's just been it's been cool to see and i like to see guys like that uh, one because you know I, I don't i hate to keep saying this because I, I don't want it to sound like i'm it's about me but i'm privileged to have known these guys and be able to to be around them back when i was doing nhra tv and and develop friendships with them and so i you know and i love all of the drivers that were racing when I was involved with TV uh, were were great people, and you know some are a little easier to get along with than than others. But they were all passionate about the sport. It was it was very cool to know all of them, and some of them, you know, obviously my heroes as a kid growing up as a drag racing fan, and to be able to be around them on a regular basis was just fantastic. But now to see some of the guys that you know I saw struggling so much in in their early years or in the years that I was directly involved with NHRA drag racing and to see them now scoring championships and multiple wins and having major funding and everything i just think it's great i i you know i love john force john force is one of one of my favorite people in the entire world people think he's crazy there's a reason for that but he's he crazy. Is, he there is so much about him that people don't know uh that goes on behind the scenes the things that he does charities things he does for people that you would never think about that would never make a news story he's just a he's a a, a diamond of a man I, I, to use a some sort of weird cliche but he's won a lot and he's a guy that struggled early on i mean struggled 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 you know oh, yeah. interviews 70s, with him he talks about that 70s through the 80s i mean he's been on fire probably more more than almost anybody and you know it wasn't until 1987 that he got his first national event win and then and then things kind of took off from there and then you know through the 90s he was just dominant and everybody you, you get to a point where you somebody wins so much you're like okay so now somebody else's turn to win and i love to see john force win because i know how much it means to him and i know the the work ethic that he and his team have and and the uh the passion that he has for the sport and what he has done for the sport of drag racing but i love seeing some of these other guys come along and and get their turn and after the hard work that that they've put in and i can guarantee you that john force was probably 
just as happy as anybody else when Dell Worsham won the championship in funny in a funny car last year because he has been there and seen how hard Dell has worked and and that's the kind of guy that John Force respects the guy that was out there you know you know Dell would sometimes look greasier from working on the car than you know if he'd been on been on fire you know so <laughs> and and then you've got you know you've got other drivers that don't do that much work they just get in and they mash the throttle and and uh, but you know there are the teams what especially the ones that start Started out as independents, and those guys are, you know, still turning wrenches and everything. Anyway, we've gone down a whole crazy wormhole of, of NHRA drag racing. It'll be exci- exciting to see how the season ends up. The Springfield Mile took place over this past weekend in uh, Springfield, Illinois. Always a huge race for AMA flat track racing, and we had a surprise winner. I mean, I think it was a surprise. Uh- Pretty much because our series leader broke or yeah. had some kind of mechanical deal. I want to say he ended up seventeenth. Uh, yeah. yeah, and Brian Smith on the Kawasaki, who has been dominant on mile race tracks and has I I couldn't find the exact number of what he's won four in a row on the at Springfield or something like that. I don't know. I don't have the the facts right in front of me for that. But I mean, everybody just assumed pretty much that Brian Smith was going to win that race and. The king of cool man on the last lap got it done and uh, put it in the put it in the winner's circle. Kenny Coolbeth Jr. Yeah, it was a it was quite a, a surprise, but uh, a lot of times, you know, second place is is the catbird seat. Uh, you follow a guy around and see what's going on with him and where you think you can pass him and where your bike is strong in the draft and uh, it's it's like playing chess at 130 miles an hour. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, it it's, sounds like, you know, he he tried to set him up a couple of times to see where he was going to go and then was able to just at the at the very end pull around it. And we've seen that happen quite a few times in, in flat track. But uh, great win. First win of the season for Kenny Coolbeth Jr. Uh, I, he was excited to have a Harley win on the mile. And uh, that's that makes it exciting. And I don't know. You know, the points now, Jared Meese has a 17-point lead over Brian Smith going into the last race of the season uh, in Santa Rosa, California, the Santa Rosa Mile. And it'll be kind of interesting because, um, I mean, Meese coming off of a mechanical failure in this race, and he's not going to be riding it, but the Indian is going to make its racing debut at the final AMA race of the season, and uh, Joe Cop is going to be on astride the Indian FTR seven fifty. It will it will be very interesting to see Cop come back on the Indian. Uh, obviously, he has more than enough talent uh, to put the thing uh, in the show. I, I can't see him having any trouble qualifying or making the main with the motorcycle. Uh, it will. It will definitely be cool to see Indian there. We've had a lot of hype about the motorcycle. Yeah. We've had uh, a lot of stats that have been published about the motorcycle, lots of private testing, a very little public testing of the motorcycle. So uh, I think they pick – I think they chose a good guy to, to put on it. Well, and I – I mean, he ran a hooligan race uh, at, part, at one of the AMA events. Was it Austin that he, he got out? He Austin, uh, Austin yeah. ran the hooligan event. But uh, has he been running some other races out in California, maybe? I mean, it's been, what, 10 years or so since he's – I think it was 2000 the last time that he rode 
Yeah, for Corbin for professionally. So I think it was for Corbin that he rode. Yeah, so uh, should be an interesting uh, event. And uh, Jared Mees won't be on the Indian. He'll be on the Indian next year. But I would have to think that he's going to be involved a little bit in that effort. I, I'm not sure how that will work. Of course, he has a, the points to worry about and and winning that last race and winning the championship. So. Uh, maybe Indian just decided, you know, we said we were going to get it out on the track before the end of the year, and we want to give get somebody on there that's got some experience and get them out in a crowd and see what see what happens. And I think that's a great idea. And then uh, Mies will be on the Indian. I'm sure he'll be testing over the wintertime months, and then we'll see him when the season starts up in 2017. I'd like to see the Indian for next year uh, with the further developments that they have and uh, the XG. Yeah. I'd like to I'd like to see what kind of changes they make with the XG and how they bring that forward. Yeah. A lot of people are kind of down on the XG, but um I think a lot of people don't take into consideration when you have a brand new sheet of paper like that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how anybody could be down on it. It's the first year. I mean, Davis Fisher has qualified that into the main event a couple of times, which was even surpassed what their initial goals were really i mean basically yeah. was, i mean he's finished top 10 so i think the development is a success myself yeah uh looking at it from a business perspective i think it's highly successful um the amount of trouble that they've had is actually very minimal um you know the uh, the alloy xr had a few teething problems back in the day um and but they've got that overcome and and it was the staple of of dirt track for a long time with harley davidson yeah um small improvements with that motorcycle over the years but basically the alloy xr has has been tried and trued and the xg is a whole new direction uh not only for harley davidson but um also in the the step back to some production-based motorcycles back into dirt track you know for a while uh it was special built everything you know the rs 750 honda was was special built and obviously the alloy xr was special built so the transition back to a production-based motorcycle uh is huge and it's a brand new line of motorcycle for harley davidson uh with their 750 and their 500 Mm -hmm. so I, all in all, I think that it is going to be a successful replacement for the XR. So we have Indian that's new. Uh, granted, it's sort of a, a purpose-built race. Nonetheless, we have a new marquee. Then we have the Triumph. Uh, I like to see Triumph there, and they're talking about staying for a while. We've got some KTMs that are sneaking in there. We have Lloyd Brothers that seem to, to be pretty loyal to the Ducati brand and have made a lot of improvements with their motorcycles yeah. so for the first time in decades we're going to have a multi-marquee series for 2017 yeah not to mention kawasaki and then uh, maybe a bmw thrown in there here and there that we've seen and uh yeah it's uh, it's always fun when you can get multiple brands involved and we'll look forward to 2017 in the ama flat track series there's another really cool event going on this weekend that I just found out about, and I didn't even know it existed because I'm disconnected from, from some of those things if they're not uh, more of the mainstream motorsport type of things. But the the motorcycle cannonball is happening um, this weekend, and they are 
basically, if you think if you've seen the movie The Cannonball Run, they they race from coast to coast in in different types of cars and everything. Well, this is kind of similar to that in in name. It, they call it the Cannonball, <laughs> and they race or they ride from coast to coast. But they are doing this is the one hundredth anniversary of um not the event, is it? No. The, no what, what are they celebrating the hundredth anniversary of? There's now I've gone completely they're celebrating the one hundred year anniversary of this is the race of the century. Anyway, the point being they they are not letting any motorcycles newer than nineteen sixteen compete. So basically in order to compete you have they to have, have to be a hundred years old. It has to be a hundred years old. And now I can't remember what the reasoning is behind of it behind it and why they're calling it the race of the century. I should have read more on that. But they are riding from Atlantic City to Carlsbad, California. And they are looking at three hundred miles a day of riding on 100-year-old motorcycles. I don't know if you have ridden, I know you have, Eric, but I don't know if you listening have ridden 100 miles or more on your motorcycle. Now, I I know, uh, hopefully we have some of you road warriors out there that have done that, and I know people that have ridden all the way to Alaska and certainly to Colorado and things like that, and on on a bagger, and you know those those bikes are pretty comfy now, as uh, as you saw when we went up to Iron Nation and and rode the Heritage cl- Classic. But to think about getting on a motorcycle that's a hundred years old and riding for three hundred miles a day is not something that sounds like it sounds like fun, but it doesn't. It sounds painful. To be it honest sounds with like you. a lot of work because <laughs> <laughs> to get a hundred year old motorcycle to go that far that that saying something in and of itself those right. are regardless of who made the motorcycle at that time the the teens era motorcycle and turn of the century motorcycles are are a, a little a little challenging they have a lot of character I guess we would say yeah I mean and, and essentially we're talking bicycles. Well, they were a little more advanced than from the bicycles than and just putting a motorcycle in a bicycle frame. I mean, they started developing a purpose-built frame, and, and they certainly have a unique look to them, but there's not a lot there. And uh, and like you said, mechanically, to get something that's 100 years old to move 300 miles a day at a rate of speed where you can cross the country in just a few days should be quite a challenge, I would think. There's a lot of parts in them chase vehicles. <laughs> I would hope and so. There's a lot of help in them chase vehicles. And uh, supposedly the inaugural event was in 2010. Okay. And it was for a group of just antique motorcycle owners to have an ultimate test of what they had. And that has been a handful of events ever since and it's always interesting to see exactly what somebody comes with there are marquees in this event that most people have never heard of or if they've seen the motorcycles they've only seen them in a book or online or in a museum and the amount of prep and time to get these motorcycles ready for this event is enormous um, it's no small undertaking, and it's not a an inexpensive undertaking. The motorcycles in themselves, uh, even even not running, 
pulled out of a barn somewhere bring you know tens of thousands of dollars for these motorcycles and a lot of these motorcycles that they ride are showpieces oh yeah yeah i mean you're talking about 1915 harley davidson's and some indians and uh you know some other brands that have pierce arrow motorcycles right you have ace motorcycles and you have crocker motorcycles and then obviously we have the indian motorcycle of that era and like you said harley davidson motorcycle of that area and gillette who made a motorcycle uh at that time and the list of motorcycles in the marquee is is uh is just unprecedented it would be like going to uh pebble beach whenever they have their motorcycle auction there and their motorcycle show and seeing motorcycles that have been the factory has been gone for half a century now or or longer yeah and you know, i mean i know some people that that work with cars from that era and a lot of times they have to build and machine their own parts. I mean, they have full machine shops just so they can develop the parts that go on. Because, I mean, a lot of those parts were made out of brass. Yes. Um, they were wood-bodied cars. And you have to – and then the engine pieces were something that it's not like you can just go down to O'Reilly and pick something up. Uh, you have to make it. And it's funny because we actually uh, – we have done uh, in the body shop have done some work on uh, several of these cars uh, refurbishing the wood bodies and so i've done a lot of sanding on the wood bodies for you know 1913 14 15 era cars and everything and so you get to see these parts and pieces up close and it's just amazing uh, the craftsmanship that goes into redeveloping parts and pieces that were made over 100 years ago and a motorcycle is no different a lot of the internal engine parts have to be recreated and they're gonna either have special castings made or they may end up having to have billet pieces made and it's never an easy undertaking in just preparing the motorcycle or bringing the motorcycle back to life let alone ride the motorcycle 3400 miles across the united states yeah yeah i don't i don't know if i could physically and i mean you look at some of the the guys that they have involved in this and they're uh, they're a little on up there some of them i mean more aged than you and i are even which is hard to believe but uh, they're going to get on those spikes and ride and i'm just thinking uh, i don't think my have the uh, the tailbone to support that kind of an effort i have some acquaintances and some friends that are on this event with a 1910 Indian. Oh, nice. That they have prepared out of Joaquin, Texas. And uh, the owner of the motorcycle is Luke Garrett. And his father, uh, Dennis Leggett, his stepfather, uh, is riding the motorcycle. Uh, another gentleman that I know, Mike Story, that is in the chase truck to help with support of the motorcycle. And uh, well, you have to get them to send us some pictures from along the way that we can post on the, uh, the website and the Facebook page and stuff, maybe. They have been uh, sending me some pictures on the ramp up to the event. So what we will do here at Power Sports Podcast is we will get those, and Jason and I will put those out on all of our media outlets. There you go. That sounds like fun. Well, other big news coming from the motorsports world just came out in the last day or so, and F1 has been purchased by the Liberty Media Corporation, 
and uh, the, it, it will set a new standard and new era for F1 racing as Bernie Ecclestone, I mean, has basically been running the organization for many, many years. And uh, whether that's good or bad, I think it depends on who you, who you talk to and what media re- reports you read. But now Liberty Media will take a stake in it. Bernie Ecclestone will stay on for a couple of years at least as CEO, but... They are going to open ownership possibilities up to some of the teams, and it will be interesting to see what they do from a media aspect, being a media corporation that's involved with a variety of things, even you know, 20th, 20th Century Fox Films to Live Nation, which produces uh, live events and, and concerts and things like that, to Sirius XM Radio, to um, television broadcasting, and the, and the television broadcasting was a big part of this deal, what they're going to do with that and where they're going to put it, and uh, it being a U.S.-based company. Will we see more F1 races coming to the United States, and will the United States motorsports fans get on board and support F1 racing, and will we do it without there being an American driver behind the wheel somewhere, or will we start seeing more American drivers now get involved? Will an American-based company that owns the, the F1 series recruit drivers to get involved in f1 racing now and i hadn't thought about that until just now but that is something that i think would be a very wise move and it would get me interested i mean i i don't watch the f1 series mainly and i don't want to get into a you know a cultural thing or you know because i i love speedway racing from the other countries but i follow greg hancock and i mean that's one of the reasons that i love it uh because i can support the american rider even though i love and respect so many of the other riders there as well but i've gotten to know them because of my interest in watching greg hancock and see what he does and so the only times i've really been interested in f1 racing were when we've had an american involved uh you know when andretti went over there uh for a little bit and you know and we haven't seen much success unfortunately but i I think it would be cool to get somebody else um involved and i don't know who that is right now at this point i mean i don't know if like a graham ray hall or somebody like that is up to that kind of challenge if you take somebody out of indycar or do you find a nascar driver i know kyle bush uh or kurt bush has expressed you know interest in an f1 you know, at least driving the car or anything. I mean, does does this new company come to Kurt Busch and say, "Hey, you know, we want we're going to pair you with a team and we're going to give you an opportunity, and as long as you don't completely suck, you know, we want we want you in there because it helps build it up for the American fan base." It would be a challenge, I think, to bring uh, an IndyCar driver into Formula One. Uh, I I think the talent is there. I think the challenge is is finding the driver because. Those are two completely different vehicles, and the the way that the car handles and the way that the car accelerates and uh, what's expected of the driver, and not that the IndyCar talent isn't huge in the United States, but that that is a tall order to to take a guy out of Indy or something, or even NASCAR or something, and put him in an F1 car. Yeah, but I think there has to be, you know, there are natural drivers 
There are. Uh, and, you know, Tony Stewart, and I don't see Tony Stewart doing it, but Tony Stewart is a guy that can get in behind the wheel of anything and win a race, I think. Uh, and we've seen it, him do it. I mean, the multi-time. He's proven that many times. USAC champion. He still gets into sprint cars and can still win a sprint car race with a wing or without a wing and is still winning, um, you know, sprint cup races. You know, there are guys like that. Jeff Gordon, um, some of the other guys. And you see a lot of them coming out of USAC, you know, and maybe you find a young guy in USAC, Unfortunately, the late Brian Clausen would have been somebody that I he think would he could have, have looked at. Looked at, yeah. Uh, and that's unfortunate that we won't. Uh, he won't have those opportunities uh, come his way. But I feel that there are there's somebody out there, and maybe maybe you start grooming somebody younger to bring up. Yes, to I, put into F one at this point, somebody that has not been in NASCAR or or IndyCar and that you can put in a Formula uh, 3000 series or something, Formula Ford series, and and get started over there. Uh, I don't know. But, I mean, I really think in order for – if they want to grow the fan base, they want to grow the, the broadcasting uh, viewership for Formula One. Obviously, on a world stage, it's it's still very big, but it is not. And unless I'm completely mistaken, and just because I'm not interested, as interested in it, uh, I don't think you see the viewership for those races that certainly a company like that would like to see. And I think in order to get that, you're going to have to get more American involvement in there, and whether that's from uh, teams. And I certainly think drivers is the most important thing. But you know, does a Carl Haas get involved uh, from a team owner standpoint or Chip Ganassi. Those the, are the two big ones that if that was to happen. Roger those, Penske. Yeah, you know, Penske does Penske develop a, a Formula One team at this point? I mean, he's won everything there is to win in IndyCar and, and NASCAR at this point. So what's the next challenge for a, a team Roger Penske? And then you have you know Rick Mears who's involved with that team from a driver development standpoint. Rick Mears is a guy that could, you know, certainly help train up a young driver to be competitive in Formula One, I think. And there's a, there's a, others out there. And um, so they, it brings uh, to mind a lot of questions. And, and I suspect that we won't see a lot of changes initially, uh, except maybe where they land on, on their broadcast rights and things like that. But I think offering up team owner or ownership to the series brings to mind some interesting questions. I mean, we, we talked a little bit earlier. You have McLaren, you have Red Bull, and uh, Mercedes. Mercedes and Ferrari are the big teams, certainly the big money teams. You know, Ferrari has been so dominant uh, for so many years. Are they going to w- want to have an investment in the ownership of the series? What does that do for the series? There's been talk about Bernie Ecclestone pocketing, you know, money from media rights things. Do the teams now start, start getting a little more uh, endowment, if you will, uh, that comes out of the broadcast packages and uh, and what happens and what does that do for the series. So it'll be interesting to keep our eyes on that and uh, pay more attention to Formula One racing, perhaps. I myself like Formula One. Uh, I enjoy watching it, but it's challenging to watch it stateside uh, in any kind of current manner. Uh, there are a lot of the races that they will show, if it's practice or if it's qualifying, will be can be as much as a as a week out so you will already have results that you found online and then you actually watch the event like i said a few days to to a week later so i hope that it brings it to a forefront i hope that we get to see more of it uh it's interesting to follow the series the technology is really cool i'm not 
I'm not liking a lot of the electric assist in the cars. Yeah, I don't either. And that's one of the reasons that I don't get as enthused like about hybrid. Formula One is you've taken so much of the driver element out. And I know that Formula One has always been about the you know of technology, technology and development and that sort of thing. But if we develop ourselves out of the need for a driver or, or need for a driver who can actually drive and do all the things that they used to be able to do, I mean – it's not quite as interesting to me <laughs> that you know you bring you bring about an interesting subject that i hear a lot about in racing and there are quite a large number of fans and there are quite a large number of of uh enthusiasts that feel like the human element is being bred out of some of the some of the formula programs like Formula One motorcycles for one, or mm-hmm. which is now MotoGP. I catch my age and still call them Formula <laughs> One bikes. But in the MotoGP bikes and in the Formula One cars, there's a lot of technology that obviously trickles down later, even into passenger cars, but sure. it also trickles down into other car forms. And some of the stuff I think has been really good for safety in the vehicles themselves. Yes. But I think that there has been a lot of it that has taken the human element away from racing. Yeah, and I'm not a fan of traction control from a standpoint of racing. I, I You see it in drag racing. You see it uh, in certainly in Formula One and uh, other series as well. And I think if you're, you're taking the uh, – using drag racing as an example, if, if the driver is not having to react – to the tires breaking loose or what the engine is doing there and it's all rely you're relying on a computer to address that i think it takes some of the the challenge out of it which make is what makes it interesting and it takes all of the driver's skill out i mean basically then you're just pointing the thing and just aim and shoot you know one of the reasons that john force achieved the success that he has and achieved the popularity he has is because of his ability to pedal a nitro funny car when it breaks the tires loose or starts to chatter the tires he pedals it better than just about anybody and now that you have traction control on those cars you don't see those things happen very much and you certainly if you see the tires break the the cars loose basically they break the tires loose they smoke and that's it and and they shut the, the run off you don't see them you don't see those pedal battles as much as you used to which i think was one of the things that made drag racing so excited because you never knew when that was going to happen and you never knew what was going to happen when that started i mean when both you know two funny cars are going down the track they both break the tires loose at about the same time and then it's a matter to see if who can get on the throttle just the right way to keep the car from turning into the wall or going across the center line and still get to the finish line first those are some of the most exciting races that that have ever occurred in drag racing as far as i'm concerned and when i love seeing big speeds and two cars going down the track side by side that's great but once you see it every run every run every run it's boring i don't care how fast they're going and i'm not saying track racing's boring well am i no, that may be a whole so much, other, that may be a whole other show uh, but for me to go down that road but, is great a pedal fest gets people on their feet but when you are for Formula One cars, I mean, you think about, you know, and they're running in the rain, and I understand that there's some different element 
things going on there. And, you know, maybe the rain's a different situation. Maybe you want to have traction control in the rain, but maybe not. Maybe that does. I mean, if you're trying to find the ultimate driver in the ultimate machine, then let the driver take advantage of, you know, his skill in those those elements or don't run in those elements i don't know that's a whole other story but i think in europe if you have to wait until it's sunshiny outside to to have an event you may never have an event well that's true too but (laughs) you know that's one of the things that's so interesting to me about speedway motorcycle racing is i mean those you look at bikes from over the past 50 years just about and they virtually look the same they just laid the motor down i and so i mean and that is Rider skill, bar that is none. all rider skill. <laughs> I mean, you put something. You you have a a five hundred cc engine in a barely there frame with small width tires and no brakes, and you better be on your game. The, uh, a speedway motorcycle is as low tech as far as the chassis goes. I mean, they have a rubber band suspension in the front, no suspension in the back. They have no transmission. High gear only. Yeah. Actually, it's not even high gear. It's direct drive only uh, on methanol. And in an era where fuel injection is is reign supreme, they still run carburetors and they're still air cooled. Well, you say that, but I mean, you look at NHRA. I mean, this is their first year with fuel injection. So I know. And that just drives me crazy to see a pro stock car with no hood scoop on it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't think they made the, the changes radical enough there. Um, and again, that's, that may be fodder for another show as we go further <laughs> down the road. But I like to see grassroots technology is what I like to see yeah. in, in racing. And I like to see it at not only a national but an international level. And Speedway brings that to the table. Uh, it's a lot of close racing, and it is rider talent. It is absolutely rider talent yeah. to make the thing launch away from the line and uh, to make the thing turn at the at the end of the straightaway. And those things at any given instant, if they get a bite, will get away from you quicker than than you can realize. Uh, I've ridden several Speedway bikes a lot and have one and enjoy riding it, but they will do things and they can react and you're definitely trying to catch up when when they get ugly yeah i would think so so what we were talking about was f1 racing and the the changes or developments there and it kind of came out of traction control and and how i would like to not see traction control there but i wonder if they will make i don't think you're going to see the the teams uh, do anything that's going to back up the technology there. I think they're going to keep moving forward with development, and so we're going to see more electronics, and, and those things aren't going to change. Uh, but I could be I could be surprised. Maybe the new ownership group comes in and goes, you know, in order to make this more exciting, we need to, to make some changes here, and, and you guys need to be willing to do that. And I don't know. We're but definitely I, going to need to follow that and see where that goes because this is, this is a huge change-up. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Bernie Ecclestone's been there for since the the since 70s, day one. Since the day one, and uh, so he's been the the king. Well, let's talk about taking you to test and tune. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were testing, and I was uh, floundering. Not floundering. Um, no, but, I thought we you had did fine. Fun. You didn't fall. We didn't take you to the hospital. So. Well, that's always a good, and that was my goal is to not get hurt in my initial outing, and and it makes it sound like I've never done anything. I grew up riding 
motorcycles, riding dirt bikes and everything. But it's been, and I have, you know, had street bikes recently, but that's completely different. And, but it's been a while since I've ridden on the dirt and tried to do anything uh, at speed on on the dirt and i still don't know that i got there sunday or uh, when we were out <laughs> to, to to speed by, per se but you know i made some laps and uh, got to run a, a hooligan bike that you have a uh, a harley 883 yeah. powered bike but it's been converted into dirt track configuration and it, it was it was very cool and i want to do it some more so <laughs> we will go and we will make that happen but uh anybody that is out there that's has something to participate with we talk a lot about dirt track here and yeah. and things but pretty much any motorcycle that you have for for fun or for entertainment uh there is a form of racing even if you have a full dresser you can still play with the motorcycle at thunder valley they well, have test could. and tune yeah. i've seen lots of dressers down there and are pretty impressed with the times that they turn for what they are but uh not just the hooligan series but there are track days with your sport bike if you own a sport bike you can go to track days and participate there and uh if you have cruisers or sport bikes or dressers or whatever you can also go and participate at a at a local drag race at test and tune the important thing is is to take your motorcycle and to enjoy the motorcycle yeah and there are like you said there depending on what kind of bike you have and what kind of things you're interested in there's always an opportunity and and it's not to get out and race on the street or anything like that not that you see a lot of dressers getting out and doing that but you know if you have a sport bike you you may be more inclined to do that but with a test and tune night at a a local drag strip or a track day if you have a road course in your area uh, we're in oklahoma city this is where we do the show we don't have a road course locally but howlett motor speedway is uh, not too far away just a couple of hours away so they have a lot of track days up there Uh, if you were going to be living in in the atlanta area there's always road atlanta and, uh, and Talladega has a road course. I know mm-hmm. people that have gone out and done track days at, at Talladega Motor Speedway, and how cool would that be? And, uh, you know, wherever you are, there, there's liable to be a track of some sort in your vicinity. And certainly if you have something that, you know, you don't mind getting out and getting on the dirt and you're interested in hooligan racing or flat track racing, there's some opportunities there or um, all kinds of motocross opportunities and certainly for all ages from uh, children to much older, as as there are still a lot of guys, you know, in their sixties and seventies that are getting around, getting out and doing some motocross on the weekends. There are. There's a lot of weekend warriors, and uh, we could use motorcycles as a prime example because you could do some grassroots motocross, but you could also do uh, cross country events, and you could also do enduro events. Yeah. Um, the important thing all with is, the same bike, really. I all mean. with exactly the same bike, which uh, is is an important thing to mention that. You can do a huge, diverse amount of of test, test and tune, uh, racing, uh, obviously entry-level grassroots racing, uh, with a very, very low amount of, of prep with a lot of motorcycles that people already have. Yeah, so if you had a 454-stroke, uh, you, yeah. could, you could get out, you could motocross, you could enduro. Um, cross country go, cross country you could just go trail riding uh, there's plenty of, of riding areas around well hopefully you have unless you're living deep in the city and in which case you have to go outside of the city to do that a tire change you could do supermoto 
yeah take the same bike but just have a tire change uh with that same tire change you could also dirt track the motorcycle right uh here in in oklahoma uh if you let's just say that you had done a uh, a 450 where you put uh dual purpose tires on the 450 or you've got like uh the bike that we've been developing which is the old sportster performance bike um there are places to ride in oklahoma uh with the 450 you could go in the wintertime to hera mm-hmm. okay um you then you could take those dot tires off put the mx tires back on it you could go ride a amateur mx event uh, you could also go ride a uh, Okra, Oklahoma Cross Country Racing Association event. You could do uh, Okie Dirt Riders or Tulsa Trail Riders Enduro event. Um, even if you had an Ultra Classic. Now, obviously, we can't have the Ultra Classic ride. If you could motocross an Ultra Classic, I want to shake your hand. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there are a lot of things to do with, with that. Most people that have those don't necessarily want to try and road race them but it's still if you just want to go and have a short burst of speed go to your local drag strip and just play with the motorcycle and have fun it's not it's more about improving what you can do with the motorcycle than it is anything else yeah but uh, we went out and and like you said we had the you have the old the sportster performance bike the harley 883 it it has a dirt track body on it looks like a dirt track racer feels like a dirt track racer and uh, we were out at Brill Motor Speedway out in Meeker, Oklahoma, which is a little uh, three-eighths mile dirt track where they typically run um, sp- some sprint cars and uh, modifieds and things like that. And so they had a special day where they tried to drag the track and get it get it ready and, and let some motorcycles come out and do some testing. Uh, a lot of guys were going up to Springfield uh, for for the event up there to to either watch or I think they had an amateur race. They did uh, have in, one, yeah. In conjunction with that. And then we have the VDTRA race coming up in uh, September 24th, just a few weeks away, which will be at Flint Creek Speedway in uh, Flint creek oklahoma uh Silom Springs. springs oklahoma um and word has it you're going to call it uh that that is well that's what i heard once so <laughs> but uh that, that's in conjunction with the bikes blues and barbecue event so if you're a motorcycle fan and you go to that event and hopefully you're listening to this show then uh we we encourage you to come out to flint creek flint creek speedway at west Silom springs and uh, enjoy the vdtra race on Saturday, September 24th, and you'll be able to see some flat track racing and, and the uh, Grand Prix Hot Shoe Series. We're going to be running that out there as well, see some of those bikes. We are going to see that. There'll be anything from vintage bikes through modern bikes there. Yeah. So it should be a, a great event, and uh, and you'll be able to see some of that, and there'll be a lot of motorcycles in the area, so uh, there should be some opportunities to maybe get those on the track as well in, in a hooligan class or, or maybe something else. And uh, but w- we had the uh, the opportunity, and, and I did my first few laps around, and, and it's a whole different experience getting out and dirt track racing, and, and certainly you have uh, quite a bit of experience 
in doing that. So you were you were faster, and you are into the turns harder. And I was trying to not kill myself in my first outing, so I, I took it kind of easy. Uh, quite honestly, the the turns were a little bumpy, and I think I wasn't the little. They were. I wasn't the only one to think that. Uh, so, which means it wasn't just me. So it uh, you know it wasn't the best conditions. I don't think for for flat track motorcycle. No. racing but uh, it was still fun and uh, i had a blast and hopefully each time i get out and get on the bike on in that configuration that i can get a little bit quicker and and uh, and, and get to where i want to be but that's that's kind of what it's all about getting out and having some fun and, and training yourself up and learning how to go quicker safe more quick more quickly more safely and uh yeah you bring up an interesting point about about riding it was it was your first time but all in all, it was fine. You seemed relaxed on the motorcycle after a few laps, and you were starting to, to get into a groove. And uh, if there were some other riders that were a little quicker that didn't seem to bother you, and you held your line good. So the important thing whenever a person gets involved in anything like that is, first of all, can you follow the program? Yeah. Can you get to the line when you need to be to the line? And did you have any challenges if you didn't break anything including yourself and you followed the program that in and of itself is a victory Um, after that it's just coming and being consistent and having fun if you if you go with the only part of of racing at a a local level or regional level or vintage racing or something like that. If your only purpose in going is just to win, I think you're missing out on a whole lot of fun that's being left out at that point. Yeah. And one of the best things about getting involved with any form of racing, as far as I'm concerned, and and I've seen it in a variety of different racing sanctioning bodies or events, uh, but the people that you get to know and get to be around and develop relationships with, and, and really, that's what life is all about if you want to get to a philosophical level, which we try not to do here on the Power Sports Podcast because that's well above <laughs> us. But nevertheless, uh, if uh, developing relationships is, is, is an important part of life, and you will meet some of the most fascinating, friendly, loving people that you will ever run across at a racing event. And, and that may say, sound crazy. And if you sit and you watch, you know, coverage of NASCAR and you see all the, the lunatics out in the infield and you're like, I would never hang around with somebody like that. That's not necessarily who I'm talking about. But, you know, there are good people, especially if they are involved on a regular basis and they're fun to be around and you de- you develop this com- camaraderie, you become like a family. And that is the best part of racing, in my opinion, the the people that are involved, um, they have uh, most of them have great values. They are they're family oriented. They enjoy what they are doing. They like to get out and drive fast or ride fast, and they are passionate about the sport and whatever entity that might be, whether it's racing motorcycles or drag racing or racing dirt modifieds, uh, doesn't matter. There's just something about the racing community as a whole. We, we all have respect for each other and our different endeavors, but there's just something about the people. I mean, you can go to a sprint car race, to a tractor pull, to a motorcycle race, and, and you're going to meet some great people. And maybe that just says that there's great people everywhere and you just don't necessarily run into them in the daily grind. But it, It's a different <laughs> mindset with racing for sure over a lot of other sports. And don't get me wrong, winning is great. Winning is always great, but 
coming from the guy who's won a couple of EDTRA championships. So we have done that. So I can say <laughs> yes, it is a, it is a lot of fun to win. But I have a lot of of enjoyment outside of that. There are a lot of events that I go to uh, that I like to ride, even outside a dirt track, and I just want to go to ride. Yeah, uh, just just for the sake of riding to to ride fast or ride something different. If we do well, that's great. Uh, if we if we just run around in the middle or whatever, as long as we had fun, that that's what is is most important. Now, I've been like you said, we've won uh, seven consecutive championships in the VDTRA, and there was a lot of sponsor pressure to to perform well, and obviously they want you to win. Um, but there's a lot there's a lot to racing outside of of that pressure uh, that is enjoyable and it's fun. Yeah. Uh, if you make changes to a bike or develop parts for the bike or we're testing parts for the bike, a lot of that, it's a lot of hard work and it's a lot of hours. But in the end, that is a lot of fun. Yes, absolutely. Well, we have uh, languished quite a bit here in uh, various topics today, and I think it's been fun and a little more laid back uh, conversation, and I, I hope that you have enjoyed it as you've been listening to this. We'd certainly like your input on the things that we talk about, uh, whether you have an opinion to express about one of the specific topics. If you find uh, you have an idea about the direction of F1, I'd be curious about hearing about that. Um, if you'd like to put input into the show and what we talk about or how we talk about it, I'm, I'm open to your suggestions as well there, too. So get in touch with us. You can reach us at powersportspodcast at gmail.com. That's powersportspodcast at gmail.com. You can, of course, listen to the show and read some of our written information at the Oklahoma Talking Company. That's oklahomatalking.co. Please go like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash powersportspodcast. You can follow us on Twitter at powersportstalk. We are also on Instagram. Look for powersportspodcast. And am I leaving anything out? I think you got her covered. All right. So uh, follow us, like us, listen to us, do it all. Be safe out there and go out and have fun. For Eric Colvin, I'm Jason Baffrey, and we are out of here.